And we always have this discussion. Do we need a cold? It's just like, we don't need a cold open. No one's like, ah, I'm not listening to this. We did a cold open. They, they don't listen for the cold opens. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Let's hope so. So exciting news, first of all, we have sources in our podcast notes now. So if you ever wonder if we're making this stuff up, you'll be proven correct because I will not put any notes in the sources in the notes. I'm just kidding, um, obviously. So this is actually going to be divided into three episodes, um, tefillin or phylacteries. It's going to be divided into the history of tefillin and discussion as usual. There's also going to be our third episode, which is actually going to be placed first. Uh, it's going to be the sage's view on tefillin. Uh, mainly because it's just way too long to put the sages you want to fill in and a history to fill in into one episode. Way too long. And you guys know our episodes are pretty long as, the, as it is. Um, quick reminder that we divide history into four periods. The period before Revelation from the year zero to thirteen twelve before Common Era. Um, the next era is Revelation until the first monarchy in sovereign Israel. That is the thirteen twelve before Common Era until 10th century before Common Era. Third, the third period is the first monarchy in sovereign Israel to the destruction of the second temple. So that is from the 10th century before common era until the first century common era. And the last era is the second temple's destruction, first century common era until now, the 21st century. For each period of history, yes. What? <laughs> so we made it. We made it. For each period of history, we will first discuss the broader world outside of the Israelites, and then we will discuss the Israelite world. Final note, uh, in the notes, I'm going to put down for the first episode when we, when we discuss the, uh, the different verses and the sages' interpretation of the verses, I'm going to put from what time frame in the recording to, uh, to the next time, uh, to which time frame we're talking about the first of the four verses, from which time frame we're talking about the second of the four verses, thir- third and fourth, et cetera, et cetera, so that it's easier to follow because... Um, there's a lot of, it's important to know the specific verse that the, that the sages are dealing with. Also just a good thing to have on any, on any file. Yeah. Directory. Yeah. I love that. Very, very true. Um, I realize we never said this before, by the way. So I just added this into the notes because I do not know how we didn't say this. Please, please share this podcast if you enjoy That's it. Right. And, leave, and leave a review. That's right. <laughs> It'll help people find the podcast. Uh, it actually did. I was surprised it helped people find the, find the podcast. I thought it was like a bunch of baloney for some reason. I don't know why it would be, but a lot of people say things that aren't, aren't true. So We're also recording live this week. We're not recording cross, uh, cross country. Yes, we have, we have transgressed the coronavirus prohibition, and uh, I have traveled across the seas from New York to Miami. <laughs> That's right. All right. And uh, if you have any questions or you want to join us for an episode, please email delvedeeper at genuinejudaism.org. As you know, we actually fulfilled this request last week, last episode. Um, okay, so David, you want to take it away with a summary of the topic? Sure. Tefillin, or known as phylacteries, are black leather boxes with straps attached that Jewish males from the age of 13 and up place atop and around their head and wrap around their arms for the morning prayers. Inside these boxes... Uh, on the top, on the box on your head, there's four compartments and contains uh, different passages from the Torah. Two of the passages are focused on the Exodus from Egypt, and two are focused on the ritualistic 
Shema prayer that is found in the Torah. All mention the tefillin. Interestingly, tefillin were not actually referred to as tefillin until around the 2nd century CE. If you look throughout all of Tanakh or attempt to control F, the text for the word tefillin, you will not find it mentioned once. Rather, it is mentioned in the Torah as os, totafos, zikaron, and a similar word. Sign, charm, remembrance, whatever. Uh, as a big deal. It, it, to, yeah. it, it is a big deal. It's, yeah. it's also important to note that the word uh, totafos, no, that's not what we're talking about. No, no, the Judaic, no. The Judaic view on no, The Judaic view on Tzvillin never resembled the translation derived from Greek phylacteries, which denotes some sort of healing power. The sages were very adamant that Tzvillin not be viewed as some sort of healing amulet. Tzvillin in the Judaic worldview is always some way of keeping the awe of God close to us and a way of connecting with that and not as a uh, self-use uh, charm. Right, not an apotropaic, uh, which is a new word I picked up that I am for sure butchering. Yeah. Also, when you go to the airport and they ask you what these boxes are and you say phylacteries, they don't know what that is just as much as they don't know what the word tefillin is. So <laughs> there's no really no reason to ever use that word. Oh my God, very true. So just to go on, okay, so what we're going to do now is something a little different than what we usually do. Because tefillin is a very unique Jewish uh, ritual or I don't like to say that, but Jewish practice. Um, I'm first going to go into the instances in the Torah where it is mentioned in the Hebrew Bible. It is only mentioned four times uh, as far as I've seen it. And there's, there's debate as to whether it was mentioned a fifth and sixth time. Most Jewish authorities hold it was not mentioned a fifth and sixth time and that those two were outliers that were talking about something else. There are verses in Proverbs that talk about wearing the words of God around you as a necklace and a crown, if I recall correctly. We also don't, we are not able to do as much uh, secular world stuff on this because there's no really secular film. We have a little bit about, you know, different amulets and stuff, but that's not really. Yeah, we, we I have, I, I, all I found about the secular, the secular historians and their discoveries about the film was mainly that, was mainly the Qumran scrolls and. Uh, the Egyptian thing with the funny looking bird on their head. Oh, uh, I actually didn't see anything about that. Oh, was it that link you sent me? Oh, it was okay. Yeah. Fine. Oh, yeah, that's right. I didn't. I didn't uh, check out that full link because it just. You can send that. Your, you sent me a link and you didn't even read it. It was. It was a really long. And it I was only thought really that yeah. I. I kind of glanced through it. Whatever. I only made it focused on the beginning because I. To be fair, I didn't finish it. There's so now you're gonna. Now you're gonna. Okay, most <laughs> so, there are four verses that talk about tefillin in the Torah. Um, Exodus or Shemos Yud Gimel Tes 13.9 uh, I apologize is the first mention of the tefillin um, and over here it is actually referred to as uh, Zikaron as a remembrance okay so this is I'm only I'm mentioning the Hebrew here as we do when it is important for the nuance of the discussion and the translation, I'm going to use Jewish publications uh, in translation. Uh, and it shall be for, you, for a sign for you upon your hand and for a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand did the Lord bring you out of Egypt. So... <clears throat> This is the first instance that the tefillin is mentioned. And we have many commentators, we have many Jewish commentators 
you know, jumping on this, you know, like clawing at this to figure out the deeper meaning as the Jewish commentaries always do, because Jews do not take anything at face value. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm I'm going through a lot of just eight uh, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, David, you, you want y'all to, to know. <laughs> David, you wanna you wanna take it away? Yes. So, Rashi immediately when explaining your Shlomi Yitzchaki is um, let me get that. He's an 11th century French sage. That's right. Where exactly is this again? Exodus 13:9. Exodus 13:9. Sorry. So he's, he's explaining that the egg, the, the, the the sign that it's supposed to be, it's a sign to remind you of the exodus from Egypt. The sign of the hand. Right. right. And, um, and, and as a remembrance or a memorial between your eyes that you write particular passages, like we said earlier from the Torah and tie them on your head and upon your arm. Wait, so well, one second. Let me just describe for the listeners real quick. You know, I'm pretty sure everybody listening knows what the fillin is, but just in case, uh, if you want to look it up, that would be best. Google but, image. Yeah, but it looks, it's the best if you Google up, uh, if you Google it. Google up should be yeah, a way to Google, say it. Right? Like Google, yeah. Why, Google up. Why not Google up? You said this sounded right. Yes. Okay, fine. I didn't make a mistake. That was intentional. I'm starting trends, people. I'm starting That's trends. Right. <laughs> but the, the fillin, if you can think about it, and if you want to think about it in modern terms, because why not? It's like a Rubik's cube that's all black um, on top of a solid state drive. But much that's, smaller than a Rubik's cube. Yeah, much, much smaller, than smaller than a Rubik's cube. Yeah, like a, like a smaller Rubik's cube on top of an, a solid state drive. Just to give you an idea of how big of a nerd I am. That's that's the example I thought of. It's a cube on top of a rectangular prism. Prism? Like a base. Like a rectangular like base. A, yeah. Right, and the boxes are made of, what are they made of? They're like, a hide. The boxes are made of hide, and not like from hide and seek, like from like the animal hide. That was an awful joke, so. but I'm going to keep it in because self-deprecating. Yeah, these all sorts of, I, I truly know, have no idea how they actually make it. Right, and inside these boxes, uh, inside the Rubik's Cube portion, there is a, uh, there is a, there are four compartments. In the, in, the, in the one that goes in your head, there's four. On the one that goes in your head, there, uh, on your head, there's four compartments. Yeah, and then just one in the arm. And then in the arm, there's one. Which, which postage is in the arm? Which verse is in the arm? I think it's just Shema. Okay, that makes sense. So basically, oh, maybe all of them. The Shema are all of them. Okay, fine. It, it, it's it, for the for the purpose of this episode. It's really not that important, uh, even though like whatever. Uh, that's more of a that's more of a nuance in law than than what we're discussing. But okay, so there, what is connected to these boxes that are on top of rectangular bases is leather straps large enough to go around your arm for the one in the arm, and large enough to go around like from the head from your head area to around your knees uh the tefillin straps yeah like that's that's the that's the average height and length of most tefillins you'll see right yeah approximately yeah either from the somewhere between the hips and the knees yeah you know some of the, the, the upper portion of your the leg. right one is longer the right one has to be longer yes uh right. i i don't know if i actually did any research on that but what the, i wear that's, them so you know again, <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is this is my this is beyond the scope of this Discussion. Beyond the scope of this discussion. So it's just to give you, paint you a little picture. I think it would be best if you actually look up what it's feeling looks like so that you'll understand when we're talking about, you'll have some visualization tools in your head. Yes. But go on. So Rashi, the 11th century sage said. Right. He, he understands them as, as, you know, the way they are today. And in fact, the order of how the passages are, are in the, are ordered in the box, on the box in your head, is Rashi is one of the main contributors to that discussion about how exactly they go in that order. But the Rashbam... Who's actually grandson of Rashi? Rashi's own grandson. 
he says something very interesting. I'm going to say that he understands it metaphorically. He's saying it's similar to the verse that says, you know, that the that the Jews asked Hashem uh, to place them as a sign upon your heart. It's more of a, a metaphorical, allegorical thing. So it's important to note, I think, just so everybody knows, the Rajbam is the single Orthodox sage we were able to find that even hints to the possibility that the tefillin were metaphorical until later on when they were created to be a physical manifestation. Happens to me that's the, that's the view of most contemporary historians, but again, their word is based on the evidence available to them at the present moment. So um, I think if the sages of the Talmud said that, they, that, it, was a, that it was observed throughout, uh, it, there's more basis to that than there's the historical evidence at hand now. Um, and I, trust me, I'm usually, Dovin knows, I'm usually yeah. one to uh, want to be okay with understanding that the sages did not have all the evidence present at the time and a little bit more okay with saying they might not have, uh, they might have been wrong in this situation. But I don't see a reason for that based on the research that I've done. And tefillin is a very unique thing. So I, I really don't trust historians with making equations about tefillin who know very little about it. Most likely. Yeah, so Ibn Ezra, Abraham Ben Meir Ibn Ezra, however yeah. you say that in Arabic. The 12th century sage. So he, uh, he's kind of responding to the, uh, the, the assertion that we're dealing with a metaphorical tefillin. And basically says that, you know, this is not a book of Proverbs. The Torah does not talk, is not, is not commanding us about allegories. Rather, the Torah is, is, instru- is, is to be taken, at least in this instance, literal instruction. So that, it's interesting you say, like, it's not a book of Proverbs because the verse that the Rashbam actually quotes that, uh, you know, this, uh, this grandson of Rashi actually quotes to kind of show that the tefillin meant to be, or, or were kind of, you could have viewed them as metaphorical at the giving of the revelation, um, is a verse from Proverbs. The verse from Proverbs essentially says, make, the, make your words like a necklace around my neck. Um, and so the Ebenezer basically replies and says, yeah, because the, word, the book of Proverbs is a book of Proverbs. The, you know, the Torah is considered an instructional. It, it's more nuanced and it's more heavy. And then like, you know, you don't have to, not everything in the Torah has to be viewed uh, proverbially. You know, so uh, he's, uh, he, he, he takes great issue with the Rashbam's approach. But again, it's, uh, the Ebenezer does use the plural, meaning he, he says that anybody who, he says there were multiple people who equated the verse in the Torah with, uh, with some metaphorical idea and not the physical manifestation of tefillin. So that's an important distinction to mm. make. It's not just the Rashbam. It's just probably we're not familiar with the sources. Mm. Was it the Ramban who was talking about uh, the, what I was talking earlier about? Yes. Oh, okay. So the Ramban, Nachmanides, right, says that we place some of the, of the effects, so to speak, of, of what tefillin is doing. What, what, what is the point? And he says that he brings, I think, the Chida, and he says, "Who's the Chida again?" Uh, I don't know what. Uh, I didn't see it actually. All right. So the Chida says that the you place it on your hand or on your arm to prevent murder, and upon your head. Oh yeah, say that was the Chida. And yeah. upon your head to uh, prevent arrogance. Right. And the idea is that, and, and it's expressed in other ways in different in different areas. Of, uh, for example, in the siddur, but in the the prayer that before you put on the tefillin, that we put it on our hand and our arm to symbolize, and as Philo is going to say, that the hand is the symbol, the symbol of action. 
So that our actions need to be godly. We need to act, God, you know, in, in, in the right way in our actions. And on our, we place the film in our head to, to, we also have to think thoughts. Our, our, our mental faculties should be geared towards service of God. So when he says to prevent murder and to hold in arrogance, is that to prevent murder meaning to, to, that you will conduct yourself properly, and murder being the most extreme example of not conducting yourself properly, and upon your head to prevent arrogance because the Gemara says that one who becomes arrogant, his wisdom leaves him. So the, the Pasuk says that we wear it upon our head, in order that the law of Hashem be in your mouth, because if you become arrogant, the Torah of Hashem will escape from you. So we wear it upon our head to, to, to humble us, and that way, when we, only when we're humble can we have a correct interpretation of the Torah. Very nice. And do this one. Which one is this? Five. Okay. So no, I think finish this and then I'll do Exodus 13. Okay, so the Chizkuni, Hezekiah ben Manoah, in the 13th century, he says that the verse was always to be taken in to what does that mean? In how we understand it today. Meaning that that it's a the, physical the, the understanding of, of, of the Pazik is the same understanding that we have today didn't change and didn't as some people suggest that it was originally more of a metaphorical thing and then it became physical he adds the reason for this is that it serves as fulfilling the verse of deuteronomy 2010 all the nations will see that the name of god has been proclaimed or said upon you and that's referring to the it's filling that or the word of and the name of God are written in the filling. It'll be like an actual sound. Like today's is basically the function of today's yarmulkas or kippas. You know? Yes, like, exactly. It's like everybody can identify you're a Jew because of the yarmulka you right. wear or the kippa. Because the they it, they used to wear the tefillin all day long. The reason we only wear it during the morning prayers now is because it requires a purity of thought and um, in the era of the internet, it's much harder to maintain continuity of thought let alone purity. It's just hard to keep track of anything. Everybody's ADD, including me. So we only wear it for a limited amount of time so we can kind of focus. Because if we had to wear it all day, we would explode. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There are, there are people who wear it, by the way. I've seen it in Jerusalem. Yeah, they do yeah. it a lot. They do it a lot. The well, it's easier it's to do it there in like Jerusalem because like, well, let's face it, there's a different uh, societal norm. Yeah, but, 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 I mean... The, the the level of um, I mean you you you're not supposed to speak any any idle words or think idle thoughts. But so how can a person go a whole day? It requires a lot of discipline. This is this is something for Jewish society to figure out. Has uh, once it takes the spirit of the commandments at heart. But like as of right now, I think we we both know most things are being done out of societal, you know, pressure. Yeah. Some pressure and like norms and this and that. So. It's important to to understand why we do what we do. It's important to listen to the podcast. <laughs> I would have cut that out. Yeah, yeah, Self plug. I'm gonna do the next verse. Okay, so this is the end of the first 16. verse. Now we're gonna do Exodus thirteen sixteen. Just only only seven verses later. Right. The original script of the verse is the Hayal Leot Aliadecha Ulatotafod Benecha. And for those of you who are Jewish and are familiar with the difference between Ashkenazim and Sephardim, you're going to ask, well, how come you're the first verse in the Ashkenazic, interpreta- in the Ashkenazic pronunciation and the second one in the Sephardic pronunciation? 
for those of you who aren't and don't understand what I'm saying, just don't worry about it. But to answer your question, it's because I want to include everybody or because I forgot what I was doing in the middle of reading the second verse. But that's up to you to figure out. Anyways. Uh, yeah, right. And so the, let's, let's translate the verse now that I'm done with that rant. And so it shall be as a sign upon your hand and as a symbol upon your forehead. So tafos, I don't know, we don't know what that means. Right, right. So we'll, we'll discuss that. It should that. be totafot between your eyes, whatever those, those things are. We'll, we'll discuss that more when we get to the, uh, yes. yeah, when we get to the, the sages. So let me restart the translation. And so it shall be as a, as a sign upon your hand and as a totafa on your forehead, with, that with a mighty hand, the Lord freed us from Egypt. We'll, we'll talk about what totafa means. The original Hebrew is very important because the word totafot is written in the plural, and it's also a very unique word that's not copied anywhere else in the Hebrew Bible, uh, except for in Deuteronomy. But it's in the same context there, and it's unclear what it's talking about. Um, And it lends many scholars to view, it lends lends many interpretations, but scholars view this in a literalistic physical manifestation sense, meaning that it's from here, it's this specific word that can actually give us the idea that uh, the tefillin, must contain multiple slots for different texts from the Torah. They, people use this word to, to create the law. They say, oh, from here you know how the law, why the law mandated physical manifestation. And you'll understand more uh, when we go in because people translate totafa as something physical, uh, some like physical symbol. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk that. So uh, this is mainly the view of Rashi. Um, and as most, as like, as Jews who grew up in the Orthodox world, they know that Rashi, the 11th century sage, you'll hear his name a lot on the podcast, is he is the proverbial father of commentary. He, he started, uh, his commentary was revolutionary in the spectrum of the Torah, was accessible to the average person. And so he says the word totafa, the fact that it's in the plural in, in the original script, Shows us that shows us that like first of all, there's no reason to make this word plural because the rest of the verse is singular. Yeah. Um, so the reason that it's plural is to show you that the, in the physical symbol of tefillin, there must be multiple compartments for the multiple verses that talk about tefillin. That's his take on this. Um, and Nachmanides Ramban, who we mentioned before, also gives his uh, his own reason for his own uh, reckoning over here, his own philosophical reckoning. Uh, the 13th century sage says that. We need, a, we, need sim, we need tefillin as a symbol for ourselves because God's not going to perform miracles each day. You know, that, like, that's, that's, a, that's a classic Orthodox uh, belief that these miracles are like, they're very, if they're, they're, they only happen in necessary times. And like if, if some sages go so far as to say like, when miracles happen, they were, they were woven into nature. You know, like it's, miracles are very complicated and nuanced thing. And, you know, and, Nachmanides knew the average person and he knew that the, what they would think about miracles and God and miracles. And he said, like, to fill in for us is this little reminder that, uh, that miracles are a reality, that like nature isn't set in its ways. And the truth is, like, as much as it's hard for us to admit that, I think that the events of the previous uh, year have been more than, more than plenty to, yes. uh, uh, to prove us wrong on that. Miracles are typically done, although you would say they're unnatural because they, they happen through natural means just in, a, in an unnatural way. For example, the, the verse by the splitting of the sea says that God blew an eastern wind. Now, there's no wind that ever happens that's strong enough to split a sea in half and keep it that way for as long as it takes a whole nation to cross it. But God simply u- uses the mechanisms with which he built the world 
and then just kind of o- OPs something. Yeah. You know, just, exactly. just turns it up to, you know, 110. He OPs something. I like that. Yeah. So another sage that discusses this third verse is the Kli Yakar, um, whose name is, uh, we refer to sages a lot by the names of the books that they wrote um, as kind of their legacy. Uh, Shlomo Ephraim, his name was Shlomo Ephraim Ben Aaron Lunschitz. He was a 15th century sage. They had last names by then already? Yeah. Uh-huh. Abarbanel was, uh, was a last name. Yeah. Isaac, Dan, uh, Isaac Ben uh, somebody, something Abarbanel. Uh, okay, fine. But basically, the Kleyakar, uh, this, this sage says that he speaks of the practice to wear the arm to fill in on the weaker arm as a sign that a man is weak unless accompanied by God. He also suggests a connection to the idea that since the heart is on the left and the liver is on the right, um, and we wear the, for the righties, we wear the tefillin on the left arm, uh, and he associated the heart with the intellect and the liver with desire, that the heart is the better option to be in proximity to. Meaning this, if you're talking about a physical, uh, if you're talking about a physical symbol of a spiritual idea, you want it to be as close to a spiritual, the, the most spiritual part of the body, which is the heart and the, and, the, and the brain, you know, because again, it's unclear if consciousness comes from the brain, like whatever, you, you know, we're not, we're not gonna get into this, but uh, there, there's, it's clear that the heart and the brain serve a function that's be, beyond the level of physicality that, uh, you know, binds everything else that's physical. Anyways, the lo- his logic was very correct. The science happened to be a little off because, you know, if there's the heart associated with the intellect, I don't think anybody holds that, but Either way, get rid of the science and its end premise stands. Like the heart is still a more spiritual uh, entity if you want it, to. It's easier to call the heart a spiritual entity than the liver. And um, so you keep the tefillin on the arm closer to the heart. And now you're going to ask, what about the lefties who wear their tefillin on the right and the right side? Good, good question. Then his first answer still stands. That's why it's there. That the, you wear the tefillin on the weaker arm because it's important to know that you can do as much as you want, but without God being like guiding your way, it's... Uh, this is opinion without God guiding your way, and like this is the Jewish view. Mm. You're, you're you're like you're nothing. Like, you know, like that's just what it is. Okay, um, in in our view. So, but not yours. What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Uh, next verse. Yes. Also, just to add the that you know it's the opinion of one of the sages in the Talmud that it is it, placed on the left arm next to the heart. See that that's you know where where that. Opinion comes to some difficulties for lefties. Why? I Meaning, it's supposed to be you, if you're a lefty, your heart's still on the still on the left side. That's what I'm saying. That's why he has his first answer to show you that the main point is that if without a without it's with God's outstretched arm that you're gonna that you're going to uh, be successful, not with your own outstretched arm. Like, all right. So it says uh, in Deuteronomy six eight, you shall tie them as a sign on your hand or your arm, and they will be totafos, they will be totafos between your eyes. So that when Ezra, right, as we, as earlier we explained, that he goes out of his way to let you know that these are real things, you know, and not, not metaphorical, allegorical. not allegorical, just because they, that there is that train of thought, at least from the Rajbam. Uh, Rabbeinu Bachya says, that between your eyes are not to be taken literally, but mean that they're to be placed on the forehead opposite the seat of the brain, seeing that is the seat of intelligence and the seat of consciousness, right? We, we perceive you know, reality from 
Where we're gonna, when we go into the history episode, you'll see some interesting MRI findings of the brain and what we know now about the occipital and front lobes that will give deeper meaning to the mm. tefillin. Yeah, that's a doozy. Yeah. So, Rabbah Ibn Pakuda says that the tefillin are sent as a reminder to be in constant examination of our deeds. Right? And this might explain the, the law that, that when you're wearing your tefillin, you're supposed to touch them constantly. You're supposed to be reminded constantly of wearing them. And when we're wearing them, we're reminded constantly of, of, of what our responsibilities are and what, and what you know, we're here to do. Uh, the sign we implant for ourselves is to be constantly aware of our obligation to be godly. Right? That is from Chobos uh, Lavavos, Duties of the Heart, the eighth treatise on examining the soul. Five three, yeah, because they because the treatises each have okay. chapters and right. subsections. Right, right, right. Okay. I, I totally forgot I put that in there. Honestly, <laughs> it's good. Enough. I like that. Uh, Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. Next one. This is the last verse. Yeah. Uh, that that we're including here. So the samtam misdivari ela alavavuchem veal navshechem. You shall place these words of mine upon your hearts and upon your souls. Yes, David's words. Yes. All these words of mine. You shall tie them to be a sign on your arm. Between your eyes. Now we've yet to understand what the word totafos means. Uh, it's very hard because it's literally only used in the context of tefillin. And etymologists who want to connect it to the word hataf in Ezekiel, it's, it's a hard... Hataf means proclamation. It's, it's close, but the, the words just don't... They have two similar letters, and it's not like it doesn't build form the same world. Like anybody who's familiar with with like the the script in the Torah, it, it's it's harder to make a connection between words like that. Because the root of that word in Yeheskel is nataf. There's no known here. It's two tases. Exactly. So it's just it's very hard to make this this, this etymological right. correlation. So Rashi says there's a famous uh, explanation by Rashi that. He says oh, it's from a different language, right? right. Tatpa, it's 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 tatpas, like totafos, tatpas. Tat in the language Kaspi is two, and pat in the African in, in some African language is also two. I don't know which version. Right, and the question is like, why are we? You can ask like, why are we using that language? I, I don't know. We have no idea. It's yeah. it's a very complicated, very complicated. Uh, this is one of the most complicated words in, in the in the in the Tanakh, and like there's there's about twenty five very complicated words in Tanakh that are like not repeated anywhere. Um, a lot of them are in Isaiah because he was a poet beyond any any uh, comprehension of the imagination. But the this is one of the ones in the Torah that is just confusing beyond mm. beyond comprehension. And that kind of really encompasses the entire mitzvah because as much as we can. Trying to dis, we're going to dis, discuss tefillin. It's one of the more unusual things that we do. Right. You know, when you put it on a plane, and I've done that before, people think you're strapping up a bomb. <laughs> I'm telling you, look, I would think that too. It's very strange. So that might be a reason why the Sfarno explained, as we said in this verse, right? It says, You shall place these words upon your hearts and on your souls. And then it says, Tie them on your arm and your head. Who says? The Svarno is saying that the beginning of the verse where it ah. says, place these words of mine on your hearts and your souls is telling you that you need to understand this mitzvah and that you're doing it not simply, uh, not, not, you're not doing it out of ignorance. Rather, you, you do it be, with, with an understanding of why and what it's about. So yeah, I like the Svarno. He's, like he's in the 16th century and he's, like very, he's very involved in the world and like he's very, uh, 
he's very concerned for the Jewish people and he always takes care to understand a, a mitzvah commandment to the to the extent of like he, you should keep digging in it but tefillin he makes a specific proclamation that like you should just keep digging into tefillin because you'll find things in there you never like you know you, you editing out <laughs> okay so um oh uh, uh you want to say this last thing uh, all the major commentaries, such as Rashi, Cheskuni, the Sifsei Chachamim, they all agree that this verse is referring to an instruction that this is not a a, a, a law that's exclusive to the land of Israel. Right? Rashi goes out of his way to say that there's some, I don't know exactly how it's derived from the verse, but it's telling you that, that while in exile, you should become excellent, yehye mitsuyanim b'mitzvah. Be excellent at mitzvot so that you will be prepared to perform them properly upon your return from exile. So tefillin seems, tefillin and mezuzah and other things like that, that, that you know, are zeichli, tzies, mitzrayim, the reminders of the exodus, they all fall into this similar category of mitzvot, of, of these constant reminders of things just to trip our memories and get us thinking about the right things. Those are, are very important for maintaining our Jewish identity in the exile. Very well said. And, uh, 